Hello and welcome to another episode of the Baycare Clinic Podcast. My name is Alicia Schertz and I'll be your host for this episode. The inner ear is responsible for our sense of balance and our sense of position in a given space. When the inner ear dysfunctions, we lose our sense of balance and can suffer from symptoms of vertigo. I'm joined today by Katie Magnin, nurse practitioner with Baycare Clinic Ear, Nose, and Throat, who's going to talk to us today about several common causes of vertigo and treatment options available for the condition. Thank you for joining us today, Katie. Well, thank you for having me today, Alicia. Let's start by just talking about vertigo in general. What is vertigo exactly, and what might a person experience if they're suffering from symptoms? Well, that is a great question to start with. Um, Many people who suffer from a variety of symptoms that they self-refer to as dizziness or vertigo can misuse that term. And so that's one of the first questions with a patient that I have is to try to categorize exactly what their symptoms feel like. Vertigo is a symptom. It's not a disease. It's a symptom that feels like you are moving or the room around you is moving. Um, Contrast that with the term dizziness, which might encompass vertigo or might encompass a variety of other sensations or feelings of lightheadedness, or imbalance, but vertigo specifically is that you are moving, spinning, or the room around you is moving or spinning. Interesting. And and is this something that's common? How often do you see this type of condition or these symptoms in your patients? Well, again, I'll kind of bounce back and forth to the term dizziness and vertigo, but when you add dizziness to vertigo, um, it's very common for a variety of reasons. But if you, you know, look in the data and the research, they'll say up to 90 million Americans suffer from this sometime in their lifetime. And you'll, you can also measure that up to their 2 million office visits and clinics for people with symptoms of dizziness or vertigo. Why an ear, nose, throat clinic to diagnose this is because 50% of the time, those symptoms are identified as having what's called a vestibular cause. Yeah, let's get into that because there are several different types of causes and, and, and maybe even different types of vertigo. Could you get into that a little bit? Well, let's. can I start with just talking about what that word vestibular means? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vestibular relates to the inner ear, and I really take uh, interest in talking to my patients about what the vestibular system is and how it works. The vestibular system is the inner ear, which comprises of two different areas. One, everybody understands the ear is for hearing, but they're not as aware of the semicircular canals, which, as you said in your intro, tell the brain what position our head is in. So when I see a patient, I want to immediately categorize first, is this vertigo a spinning sensation or is this a dizziness? And then two, if it's vertigo, is this from the inner ear, the vestibular system. When we see a patient come in for vertigo, we also have them see our audiologist who is going to perform an audiogram and also measure middle ear pressure. Because with those tests and the history that the patient provides, I can categorize the cause of these symptoms into whether or not this is a vestibular cause or from the brain, a central cause. And what would be the difference? I mean, one would be vertigo and one would not, correct? Correct. Now, that doesn't mean that vertigo can't come from another source, like in the brain. But for example, when the inner ear 
these three semicircular canals have what we call them as, say, crystals that are floating in solution in these these loops. Now, one loop is 90 degrees in orientation to the next. Wish we could have a poster to kind of show this image, but if you will, you know, one uh one canal is horizontal, vertical, and the other is at a 90-degree angle to those two. They have crystals that are floating fluid. And when I tip my head to the left, my brain understands from the three loops in the right ear and the three loops in the left ear, the positioning of those coordinates, which tell the brain Katie's head is at a 45-degree angle, but command her vision and her body to stay upright so she can clean the cobwebs in the corner of her kitchen for example. Um, so th- we do a test in the office to, to try to test and see if those crystals are in the loops in the right place or if they've gotten displaced and stuck in an uh, aberrant part of that loop. And if you can imagine, if one loop has crystals that are no longer floating in the spot where they should be, my brain is going to get fired misinformation. One ear is going to tell my brain my head is in a certain position and the other ear is giving contradicting information. So what that ha- what that does to to me is that makes my eyes beat and then it looks like the room is spinning. Mm-hmm. Therein lies the cause and description of what exactly vertigo is. And if I have a patient in the office, what I do is I isolate the function of their inner ear By putting these goggles on, the goggles take away their ability to focus on anything. And then that makes their ear have to tell the brain what position it is. I can no longer rely on what I see in the world to tell me which way is up or down. And when the patient puts these goggles on, I recline their chair, tilt their head to the right, challenging those loops. And if I see their eyes beat... And they also respond with, whoa, I feel dizzy, I feel vertigo. We know that the diagnosis is benign positional vertigo. And there's, it's a very easily treatable um, condition to have. And it's actually gratifying to be able to diagnose people with that and give them the good news that there's something we can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into some of those treatment options a little bit later. But before we do that, I want to back up just slightly and talk a little bit about maybe the the demographics of people that vertigo can affect. Do you see this in in patients of all ages? We do, but primarily, you know, we'll see it more likely in people who are 50 and over. That's not to say that it can't happen in your 20s, Um, but, you know, that's just more of an average. But there are a lot of different reasons you can get symptoms like that, Uh, maybe a blow to the head, uh, maybe a virus has kind of uh, upset the inner ear, uh, some sort of inflammatory response, um, or, you know, the category we call idiopathic. We don't know the cause, but it can happen along any of the age ranges, but it's more likely 50 and over, and as we age and as we become treated with more and more medications and comorbidities. If, when we have other diseases, we'll tend to notice that these things can become more common. Mm-hmm. And and for the majority of patients, is this is this a long term condition or is this a come and go type thing? What do you see mostly in the patients that you're treating? Good question. When I see people with these symptoms, it's typically the first time they've had these symptoms. And as you can imagine, the world spinning is a very disabling symptom. So people are quite concerned when they have that symptom for the first time. 
the good news is it, it can be self-limiting. By the time somebody has found their way to my office, sometimes they say, Katie, I had such severe symptoms this past uh, month, but guess what? I don't have my symptoms anymore. They've just spontaneously resolved. But more or less, uh, we identify, diagnose, and then have them get treatment with vestibular therapy, which repositions those crystals back into the loop. Uh, so again, for benign positional vertigo, it can be self-limiting or it can reoccur. Sometimes um, they see a vestibular therapist within one or two sessions, their symptoms are resolved, but they're also informed that this can come back for reasons we're unsure. And uh, they're usually given a set of exercises that they can perform at home to even, um, you know, bring things back into the right part of the loop that they can do right in their own home. I do want to to touch on that briefly because you had mentioned diagnosis and and dizziness being a pretty common uh, symptom that that people can experience. Is diagnosis of this sometimes challenging based off of maybe other things that it could be? It is, and it can be overwhelming for primary care, for ENT, for neurology. You know, because uh, a patient with dizziness or vertigo certainly enters the healthcare system at a variety of different entry levels, entry points, um, to try to start the diagnosis of what's going on. Why am I feeling these uh, debilitating symptoms? And when they see me, again, I take it um, upon myself to figure out if this is ear-related. Now, that's not to say if I, I identify that this has nothing to do with the ear that I say, see ya. Um, I feel the strength of Baycare Clinic is our uh, multi-dimensional um, team that we have of neurology, ENT, audiology, physical therapy, and the primary care group that we work together to identify this. But again, when they're in my office, I try to decide, is this ear-related or other? Now, the other is a very big group of conditions that can cause dizziness. Um, anything that gives confusing information to the brain, when our senses aren't as acute as they used to be, whether that's our vision, whether that's our hearing or proprioception, that sense of, are my feet on the ground? Is the f ground flat? And what information are my feet giving back to my brain about my position? When any of those senses is not doing its job, our brain is dulled down in that it's having a hard time command how to behave because it's not getting accurate information. That can give us this general sense of dizziness, if you will. Again, the vertigo, usually brain or ear related, and you know, which we can diagnose with our with the tests that we have in our ear, nose, throat clinic. Um, but when I can do the job of simply deciding if this is ear related or other, it really clears up the path of how to treat. So, for example, in my office, with the physical exam, with the history, with the audiogram, um, I can start to uh, make my differential diagnosis into a more um, workable game plan. With the audiogram, if we see sudden sensory neural hearing loss, we've put this into a new category then. We're out of that benign positional vertigo, and we might be in a neuronitis or a Meniere's disease. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where audiology is very important. Sometimes people come to my clinic and say, I'm dizzy. Why do I need a hearing test? And it's all part of that exam to see if that inner ear 
is doing its job both in the balance and the hearing. Yeah, absolutely. That inner ear plays a huge role in in some of these symptoms, as you mentioned. Um, Let's talk a little bit about those treatment options. What options are available once you get a patient, um, you know, diagnosed that this is, let's just go with positional vertigo. What are the treatment options that you have? The most important thing for positional vertigo is to get into a vestibular therapist. Now, that's a physical therapist who has a special training in um, balance therapy and treatment of the inner ear disorders. And like I said, that's just such an invaluable part of our team um, to get people back into um, functioning at their regular terms. Uh, and like I said, it's usually a couple of sessions, and um, there's uh, just wonderful vestibular therapists in um, many of the groups around the Baycare Clinic system. Are there other treatment options available, maybe medications or surgery or, or other options for patients? Let's talk about some of the other causes of vertigo. Now, for benign positional, I, I don't feel like medications have a place here. They might dull the senses to make um, the vertigo not as severe, but they don't get you back into the game quicker. There's medications that are commonly used like meclizine. And like I said, that just kind of sedates you a little bit, makes you feel better so you don't, you're not in, aware that you're dizzy, but it doesn't help the brain compensate to get back into the game. So for benign positional vertigo, the mainstay of therapy is vestibular therapy. However, if this is not positional vertigo and say it's Meniere's disease, or sudden sensory neural hearing loss that we might associate with a term called neuronitis or labyrinthitis, then our treatment options change. Meniere's disease, for example, is a terrible vertigo, and those attacks don't last like a minute like they do in benign positional vertigo, but they last hours, and they can reoccur over days. And this is a situation where people aren't able to go to work, They have a lot of associated symptoms like ringing in the ear, Mm -hmm. nausea, vomiting, fullness in the ear, and it's quite debilitating if it's not identified and treated. So for something like Meniere's disease, uh, the identification of a fluctuating hearing loss with that audiogram makes our diagnosis um, solid and changes our plan for treatment. So Meniere's disease, although a vestibular therapist is very beneficial and again, optimizing their ability to balance, um, there's other uh, focus um, that we have with, say, the diet. We'll first of all ask, how much caffeine do you drink or consume? Because that is like gas to the fire with people with vertigo or dizziness. Mm -hmm. So we'll ask them to try to back off of the caffeine. Um, we ask them to watch a low-salt diet with Meniere's disease. Um, we're finding that the, the liquid that's in the semicircular canals called endolymph might be um, excessive. There might be too much fluid in there and causing pressure in that inner ear. So we'll ask people to eat a low-salt diet and also consider diuretic therapy. When those treatments don't decrease people's reoccurrences of their Meniere's disease or the intensity of their Meniere's disease, we then look to treatments like intratympanic injections of either uh, anti-inflammatory like a dexamethasone or a steroid or uh, gentamicin, which can tell the inner ear to calm down, to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are treatments that... Um, you know, are not first line. We we first focus on um, 
diet and diuretics for people with Meniere's disease. Very interesting. And it sounds like a delicate balance between diagnosing what the actual cause of the vertigo is and the treatment itself. So do you find that most of your patients or most people experience relief with treatment? There is a spectrum of relief that people can experience. Now, when you have a 25-year-old that's coming to the office with benign positional vertigo, I would say our expectation that their symptoms are going to completely resolve, my expectation is very high. When I have an 85-year-old with benign positional vertigo, my expectations are that we can make a big improvement, but because of other associated diseases that they have, we might not get to 100% dizzy-free. However, that's where I think it's so important to be assessed and not suffer in silence at home because we can identify the systems that we can optimize. We can identify, is your hearing poor? Would hearing aids help? Is your vision poor? Do we need to have you be um, evaluated for glasses, an updated prescription? Is your strength and training, is your strength uh, weak? Uh, you know, did you just have a, a hip replacement? Do you have arthritis in your knees? And it's difficult to balance because you can't trust your lower extremities. Uh, we can optimize, we can look at the whole human and say, what are the areas we can optimize so that your brain can confidently command your body with the information it's receiving to keep you upright, to keep you functioning at the level you want. So that's a long answer to saying, is this 100% cure or can we improve? But it's a spectrum for people based on you know, if the if benign positional vertigo is their only diagnosis or if they have other comorbidities associated with that. That's perfect. And I think that was a perfect segue, too, because I did want to touch on, you know, obviously with this being sometimes a very severe case where, you know, they're kind of thrown for a loop when they experience this the first time. But is there consequences in not seeking treatment for vertigo or can someone just wait and, and hope that it goes away on its own? That's another great question. Um, nobody likes to come to um, the clinic and have a bill when their symptoms are gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so some, sometimes if um, your symptoms are vertigo, of vertigo are um, limited by just a minute and very infrequent, I don't believe there's any you know, true problem in waiting to see if it declares itself to be more of a problem. However, um, Early analysis of that can lead to early treatment and resolution. And there are definitely symptoms that a person should not ignore. Um, vertigo that lasts longer than a minute. Vertigo that's associated with sudden hearing changes or fluctuating hearing changes or um, changes in your mentation. You know, certainly there are a, a lot of reasons in the brain. We have to rule out things like perhaps stroke. Um, so we don't want to ignore any of those signs where the function of the rest of our body systems changes dramatically with that vertigo or with that dizziness. So certainly there are some emergent things that um, people need to seek um, urgent evaluation for. Um, and like I said, in ENT, for us, the urgency is if your hearing suddenly changes, the sooner we see you, the greater the likelihood of resolving that or properly diagnosing it to make sure that we can try to recover some of that hearing that has been lost. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And you had talked about it briefly too. I think some people might be worried or concerned that maybe these episodes of vertigo may be limiting if they're driving or, or, or things like that. Does vertigo typically occur in situations like that? Or what can you say to sort of relieve people that, that maybe that's not going to happen? Well, the first thing that uh, vertigo does besides take you out of your game, it gives you great anxiety. I, I can't think of a symptom that's worse to experience other than the worst pain you've ever had, uh, than vertigo. Uh, like I said, until a person knows what's causing it, anything from stroke to a brain tumor is in their head of what might be going on. And again, with a proper ENT evaluation, you know, we'll decide too if we need to take this further with diagnostic imaging, with an MRI to rule some of those things out. But just starting that initial evaluation for a patient brings down great level of anxiety knowing that they don't have a life-threatening illness. Um, and so, you know, prompt evaluation of these symptoms can at least take some of those things off the table so people don't have that associated level of anxiety. But you can imagine nobody can drive when they're dizzy. Nobody can drive when they have vertigo. So it's a game changer, and it, it's a reason where people do seek urgent evaluation to, to try to make sure they can get back into their activities of daily living. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. If if I am a patient who is maybe experiencing new symptoms of dizziness or vertigo, what what is my course of action? Do I start with my primary care or do I need a re referral to see you or your team members? Oh, that's a good question, Alicia. And there's not a one-size-fits-all for a, a variety of reasons. Uh, one that I really can't speak to is insurance. Some people's insurances will ask them to see their primary care provider first. Others can go directly to uh, whatever office they want to call to make an appointment. Big Care Ear, Nose, and Throat is happy to take phone calls from anybody who would like to directly make an appointment with us to be seen. And... Um, of course, sometimes going through your primary care provider, they can do a great job of directing their first instincts if they feel this is more related to the ear, related to the brain, or related to their diabetes or their heart disease, for example. So going to your primary care provider is a great plan, but again, our doors are open if you feel this is vertigo, room spinning, and certainly if it's associated with any changes in your hearing, uh, we would like you to give us a call and we'll start the evaluation. Yeah, and let's talk about that. From an appointment standpoint, um, what can someone expect? I know you talked about it a little bit, but what should they be prepared for um, when they come to see you? They should be prepared that we will definitely want to work with our audiology uh, department and have a hearing test with that, with their um, evaluation. And again, that surprises people, but I'm not complaining about my hearing or my, I don't, I'm not worried about my hearing, but they can definitely expect that this is going to be a team um, process where our audiology department evaluates the status of their hearing. Then they'll be uh, evaluated, full history will be obtained, we'll want to know all of the medications that they're on, we'll want to know if they've had any recent falls, um, we'll want to know if they've had any head trauma, any ear infections. Again, a, a quality, thorough history will be obtained. And then for the exam, um, we're going to see how they walk, how they balance, 
we're going to do a comprehensive head and neck exam. And as I said, we're going to put these Frenzel lenses on and we're going to watch the reflexes of the eye motion when their head is reclined in different positions. Um, based on that analysis, we'll get a good idea if we think this is related to the ear or related to other causes. Sometimes at that appointment, um, we're still unsure. Then I recommend that they uh, have an appointment with our audiology team uh, called a VNG. Um, and the VNG is a test that does a great job of categorizing um, the reactions of the ear, brain, eye reflexes to determine if those symptoms of vertigo are related to the peripheral system, the ear, or if perhaps they're related to the central system, the brain. And then that's when we work closely with our neurology groups. If we find in that VNG that they're um, exhibiting symptoms that could be caused from problems in the brain, we also set them up with a neurologist. Yeah, and you just touched on it too, but can you talk about just the confidence level that you have being able to find patients a solution just based on the nature of the collaborative environment here at BayCare? I feel very fortunate to work among such a group of um, common-minded individuals who want to find a cause of patient symptoms. You know, I, I have no problem calling up physical therapists, consulting with them, audiologists, neurologists, our otolaryngologists. Um, we have a great uh, group effort that we make sure we take care of people and get them the uh, referrals and the resources and the treatment that they need. Um, you know, we're not, I'm not going to say, huh, I don't know what it is. See ya. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to direct my patients into the uh, direction of what our exams and results of our tests show. Um, sometimes that is back to their primary care provider to take a look into their diabetes, to look into dehydration, kidney function, their cardiac status. Um, but many times we're able to, like I said, 50% of those patients who have vestibular dizzy symptoms are, are, are found to have a vestibular cause of which I'm very confident we can improve people's activities of daily living by getting rid of those symptoms, those those vertiginous, vertigo, dizzy-like symptoms uh, when properly diagnosed and treated. That's fantastic and, and, and so valuable with something like vertigo that can be um, such a complicated diagnosis. It can be, and with proper um, diagnostics, it can be very, very easily categorized and treated. You know, vertigo is scary. It's a disabling feeling. It, it's associated with a lot of high emotion and anxiety. And what's important for me to let people know is most causes are identifiable and treatable. And we don't want people shrinking into themselves, feeling helpless, staying on the couch, watching prices right all day long and declining. You know, uh, they can come in and be evaluated and we can optimize their potential for living the best version of themselves. That's fantastic. Great. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Katie. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Alicia. Again, Katie Magnin is a nurse practitioner with Baycare Clinic Ear, Nose, and Throat. She currently sees patients in Green Bay and Marinette. To request an appointment or to learn more, visit baycare.net. Thank you all so much for listening.